That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. All right, welcome everyone to Bat Force Radio, the Batman slash DC podcast with no limits. Now on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud for your listening pleasure. Uh, we got a really great episode today. Just get the panel out of the way. I got Bat Force Tom over in sunny California. Oh, cheers. I got Grandpa Batman over in Texas. Howdy. Got Robin Cross over in Canada. Greetings. Tom, bring our honorable guest. So uh, if you've been keeping up with the show lately, you know that we've had a number of amazing guests recently. Tonight is no exception. Our guest has been a significant contributor to the DC Universe. He's lent his talents on Batman, Lobo, Legends of the Dark Claw, and Amalgam. He is one of the most iconic and recognized artists on Catwoman uh, with his legendary run. A lot of times you can ask somebody, who's your favorite Catwoman? More than likely, people will say his name. Since 1999, he's been publishing broadsword comics with titles like Tarot, Witch of the Black Rose, and also drawing some amazing Kiss covers. Please welcome the legendary Jim Ballant. Oh, yes. You guys are fantastic. <laughs> no, you are. You're fantastic. Yeah, you, you guys are, are catastic. Oh, that's, oh, that. that's it. We've we've peaked early. Interviews <laughs> over. Yeah, that's great. Okay. <laughs> so, Jim, how you doing? First of all, I'm doing well. I'm uh, in the studio in Pennsylvania, where it's uh, rainy and cold, and it was negative seventeen wind factor the other day. Ouch. Oh wow. About yeah. what? We've had over here in Canada. Ah, okay. Brutal, brutal. So, Jim, um, a lot of younger people listen to our show, and what really gets to them is understanding how their favorite artists got their start in comics and how it led to where they are today. Um, You're an amazing story because you're doing self-published works right now. You're your own boss. So um, maybe tell us a little bit how you got your start. When did you realize art was something that you were good at and then something that you could possibly maybe turn into a living and then leading you up to today? Well, I I think everyone starts drawing at an early age. Uh, I started at five years old drawing dinosaurs and and, and Batman and Uh, Spider-Man, watching uh, Adam West on TV, uh, Mm. just inspired me to draw Batman and and having a few Batman comics and a few Spider-Man comics, uh, it it just made me want to draw more. And since uh, uh, we didn't have much money, much uh, spending money, for you know luxuries like comic books so i wouldn't get them every month so what that forced me to do was to read the issue and then go to my bedroom and sort of draw the next issue you know use my imagination to figure out what happened to wow. Spider-Man or what happened to batman next uh so you know growing up you, know, you continue to draw and you go through high school and you're drawing and and at some point it dawns on you that drawing comic books could be a career and that was amazing idea uh, when someone brought it up to me, and, and I just thought, that's it. You know, I want to do that for the rest of my life. So right from high school, I uh, enrolled in the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Arts in New Jersey. It's still there. It's a great school. 
And uh, I was there for three years. It's a three-year school. And I was taught by incredible teachers such as Joe Kubert and uh, Greg Hildenbrandt, who, uh, as everyone knows, painted the Star Wars poster, the, the very first one. So right, he was right. my, my teacher. Uh, then from the Joe Kubert School, I uh, hooked up with uh, Kim DeMolder, who is a, who is an anchor or was an anchor at Marvel and, and DC. He is now currently a teacher at the Joe Kubert School. And uh, he wanted uh, my talents to be his background anchor. Personally, uh, I'd like to ink or pencil, ink, draw, paint, everything. You know, I, I just don't want to focus on being a penciler or an anchor or a colorist. I wanted to do the whole thing. But this was my break. So I, I was a background anchor for Kim DeMolder for many years. Uh, I've worked on uh, many titles. And back then, you didn't get credits in the book. So uh, I was allowed to hide my initials, JB, in, my, <laughs> in the brickwork or... And on a sign where Spider-Man was swinging through, it's a, you know, JB production or JB cameras. And matter of fact, there's one in the She-Hulk graphic novel that John Byrne drew and Kim, Kim DeMolder inked on one of the panels. Uh, it's like it's sort of this checkered board where it has JB on it. So that was sort of like my signature. <laughs> you know, that was the only way I could get credit back then. So from yeah. there, I just continued to uh, submit uh, – pages to uh, DC or Marvel at the time. And uh, it was actually uh, DC that broke first. And I did some backup stories for them. I even did a, a backup Adam story, believe it or not. And then from there, um, I think one of the breaks was uh, doing a Batman annual. And then from the Batman annual, at the same time, they were looking for a Catwoman artist. And they knew I drew you know, powerful women. And they said, Jim, would you like to take a crack at this? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I loved Batman. I loved Julie Newmar. Uh, growing up, those guys were just my heroes. Uh, so, yeah, this was a dream come true. And uh, started on Catwoman, and I stayed on Catwoman for seven years until the year uh, 2000. I don't think anyone else has drawn Catwoman as consistently as you did. I, You know, if you look through the history uh, especially consecutively, I think you're the only guy that's had that run like that. Well, I love the character. It's it to to this day, I still love that character uh, because she's not a good guy, bad guy. She's uh, multidimensional. Right, uh, she's right. uh, you know sexy. She's deadly, and uh, so I, I could keep drawing her all days. And even now, when when I'm on airplanes, when I'm on a five hour airplane to San Diego Comic-Con, or if I'm on an eight-hour airplane to London or, or Vienna, uh, I'm in my seat sketching Catwoman. <laughs> so uh, you might see on my Facebook pages uh, me in my seat drawing a, a Catwoman illustration. Uh, so, yeah, the, the character still uh, fascinates me. That's we awesome. have a friend named um, Genevieve, and she is a huge Catwoman fan, and she... You are her favorite artist, and she had a couple of questions that she wanted me to ask. Um, she said, what inspired you to give Catwoman her iconic look, and then would you ever want to be part of the series again? Uh, her name was Genevieve? Genevieve, yes. Genevieve. Hello, Genevieve. Uh, the iconic look. It's so funny because I, I get a lot of questions like, you know, how did you come up with the iconic look? You know, at the time, you just make these designs and, and I knew what I wanted was, uh, I looked in Catwoman's past history, uh, 
and I, I wanted there to be an evolution of her costume so that you could tell this is the same character, but she sort of slowly changed into what I thought she should look like. And I wanted her with the long black hair. I thought that was wonderful. Um, I wanted her with uh, uh, those opera gloves and those thigh-high boots. And what that does is, as an illustrator, it, it makes the female form or, or any form, it elongates the arm, it elongates the legs, and you have more of a, a sense of a dramatic look to the character. Uh, so, you know, purple, that was easy, you know. Catwoman was purple. Sometimes she was green, but it's like I, I just wanted that bodysuit. Make it simple, clean lines. Um, worked on the mask a bit, giving it little points on the edge. Uh, keep in mind that it was Catwoman, and not focus on just being a woman or just being a cat. So combine the two. Uh, and uh, would I want to be back on the series if somebody cloned me? <laughs> say, yeah, in a minute. Yeah. So the boy inside me says, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Uh, I'll team up with some of the writers out there. I'll team up with, uh, you know, Doug Mensch or, or, uh, or Chuck Dixon, you know, the guys that I worked with from back in the 90s. I mean, I'm sure they have tons of stories. I also know I have an obligation to Broadsword Comics, which I started in 19, or I'm sorry, when I started in the year 2000. We have, we're on issue 114 of Tara, Witch of the Black Rose. We're a bi-monthly book. We're on year 19. And I'm really proud to say we have never missed a deadline. Wow. wow. 19 years. You know, and I hate to say it, but I don't think Marvel or DC can say they've never missed a deadline. Yeah. Definitely not. not. <laughs> but when I was on Catwoman, I never missed a deadline, and that book was out on time. So wow. I'm I'm a workaholic. Would I love to draw the characters I grew up with, Batman, Catwoman, or Spider-Man? Yeah, I, I would love to do that. Um, I have turned down jobs of that that I just like you know pull out my hair and go, oh, I would love that, but I have an obligation to the people who have supported me on Tarot for 19 years. And for me to sort of throw that away and just say, because I want to do this sort of vanity project, uh, I, I have to find a balance. So if I could find a balance of doing both tarot and Catwoman, if that happens, then, you know, I would do it. So and the, the short answer is, yes, I still love the character. And, yeah, I love drawing her. Was it, was it always um, a dream or kind of like a, a plan of yours once you got into comics to eventually be able to kind of create your own, make your own imprint, and then and then go off on your own and do your thing? Yes, exactly. Going back to when I was five years old, uh, you, know, you draw Spider-Man and Superman and, and, and Batman and, and Catwoman, and uh, you, your, your creative mind goes, okay, well, I'll try this character. And uh, yeah, I have a, a whole list of characters I've made up, superheroes, monsters, and storylines from way back when I was five years old. So, yeah, I, I don't think I ever, especially at five years old, never said I'm going to create my own comic book. But, yes, I was drawing my own fantasy books in high school. I was drawing my own superhero comic books in high school uh, and just, you know, keeping them under my bed. Uh, you know, nowadays I do the same thing. I just put the pages in a big Tupperware. <laughs> <laughs> what are the kind of stories that you like to draw? You know, it's you know, obviously Catwoman is 
a DC property and she's got her story and you kind of have to, you know, honor that. But what are the things that kind of excite you about storytelling and, and let you kind of have your imagination run wild? Oh yeah. I, I go from uh, one side of the spectrum to the other. I love the, the superhero punch out comic books in the city. You know, I love that. Um, I'm two hours away from New York city and it's still a thrill. Every time I go in, I, I imagine, you know, Adam West running down, as Batman the street or you know Spider-Man going through through the city uh so there's that side of me who you know I love that superheroes and then the other side is I love the fantasy I grew up reading Frank Thorne's Red Sonia you know he's my Red Sonia uh that's the iconic look uh so I, I love Conan the barbarian so I have that huge fantasy side of me as well so when I came up with Taro I sort of combined the two and made it a, a modern-day sword and sorcery story. When is it that uh, you kind of knew that you had the ability to break off from the mainstream and do your own uh, comic publishing? Uh, I don't know if you know. I, I think because you're obsessive, you, <laughs> you like to draw. And then when something ends, that doesn't mean you end that means you go and draw something else. I always felt that you know my career and who I am is, is like a river and you're going down and then there's this obstacle, whether it's a boulder, you just don't stop, the river doesn't stop, it goes around it, you know, it just keeps going. So I, I always feel like I'm always on that hero's quest. You, you reach that holy grail, which was you know working for, uh, for DC Comics, doing Batman and, and Catwoman. And, you know, you, you made it because that's part of your holy grail, your hero's quest. And then you don't stop. Right. You know, it's like you have another grail to go to. And so I, I never understood these people who have bucket lists because to me that means there's an, an ending. And I just <laughs> thought, no, you know, it, I'll be in the grave with a list of things I still want to do. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to hear how long you've been doing it because – I think uh, a lot of people, they'd like to, and, and you know, sure, I'd like to do my own, be my own boss, and kind of create my own stories, but um, they it's hard for them to find success doing it. You know, you, you found yourself uh, an audience that is loyal to you because of the things you did before and is sticking with you with the things you're doing now. Uh, how did you find um, success once you were able to start kind of branching off on your own? What have you found is kind of the way you kind of grab your audience? Sure. Well, first, let me just say that you mentioned, you know, being your own boss. And I think being a freelancer from day one, you are your own boss. Even if you're under a Marvel flag or a DC flag, uh, it's still up to you to hit your deadlines. And just to sort of go off on a little tangent here, in the Joe Kubert school, Joe Kubert uh, once said to the class, no matter how good of an artist you are, if you don't meet your deadlines, you're not good to the company that you're working for. So uh, I, I always took that to heart, that deadline means deadline. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, to, to answer your question is, you know, I, I, I hate to use those cliches of being a self-starter. Uh, it, it does come down to, uh, you know, sort of draw what you like and the audience will find you. Uh, and keep at it. Uh, if, if you stop, then your audience will go and read another book, which mm -hmm. is, you know, very true. There's, there's so much great books out there. Um, and 
why why would they stick around with a guy who puts out a book once a year? You know, I don't think I would. So uh, that's why I feel there's a huge obligation I have to to my reader base that I want to continue. And it's great. Every morning I do wake up and I can't wait to get to the drawing table and draw the next issue of Tarot. Or, as you brought up, Kiss Covers, that's yeah. other, uh, you know, heroes of mine growing up and uh, getting the job to do those specialty variant kiss covers was a dream come true so once again being the boss and being the publisher being the artist you have to sort of work this into your deadline know you have 24 hours in a day and uh, you, you fit things in and sometimes you have to make that call and say sorry i'll have to turn something down because they got deadlines and the worst thing you want to do is to screw up their deadlines right um uh, I'm, I'm a big hard rock heavy metal fan and i saw obviously that you've met you know space ace some of the other uh, members of kiss uh, and you're drawing the covers how did how did that happen how did you get to start doing kiss variant covers ah you know once again it's uh meeting uh, gene simmons backstage and uh showing him my portfolio <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Because, uh, you know, he knew my name before I got there. Uh, he knew of my work on Catwoman. And it just so happens that he was looking for an artist to do some covers for his Dominatrix book. Uh, Gene has his own comic book company. I believe it's Gene Simmons Comics. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he uh, needed, like a few years ago, at least two or three covers of the Dominatrix. And uh, he liked my work, and he asked me, could I do it? And I was like, yeah, I'll do this. Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was great working with Gene, once again, my, my hero yeah, uh, yeah. in the rock world. And then later on, uh, getting to do uh, those specialty Kiss covers with them in, in full makeup. So, yeah, yeah I, was, I was in heaven. and <laughs> still am. Yeah, yeah. It's, and they look amazing, obviously. Um, my qu I have a question about that. So I, it looks like you do the Peter – are you doing Peter Chris? And uh, Ace Freely, correct. You drop those covers. Yes, matter of fact, I was scheduled to uh, draw five, and uh -huh. the fourth one just came out. The fifth one will be coming out in February, and that'll be a sort of a jam piece with all the four guys. But yeah, wow. you are correct. It's the original members, and that was one of the things I had to ask them about. Oh, so you had to ask them, like, can I do the original lineup? Well, th that was it. Uh, without getting in too much detail, I, I have to sort of go, well, what era do you guys want kissing? Uh, sometimes it's like, pick your own, you know? Uh, and then it's, uh, then I say, well, which members? And then they would either say, well, we can do that or it's up to you. Uh, I, I did a specialty uh, Gene Simmons cover for New York uh, Midtown Comics, and it was Gene Simmons and his Destroyer outfit. Uh, sitting on a, a throne of skulls with yeah. uh, four beautiful redheads around him. So he loved he loved that. He approved that right away. <laughs> oh, Jim, this is, this is fantastic work. Fantastic work, Jim. I love this. Love this cover, Jim. Jim, you're a very you're a very powerful and handsome man, Jim. I have an email with him saying or writing those exact words to me. You are a very handsome and powerful man, Jim. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Gene's a character. Looking man. for someone to hire to read all of your Gene Simmons emails to you. <laughs> 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 
I have to tell you, it's been amazing to finally find an artist who meets his deadlines, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a huge Kiss. I'm it's like I, I'm a fan of, uh, of of Kiss, but then you also kind of have to be a fan of of Gene Simmons, the character, you know. So I guess kind of truly appreciate like everything that is him. But yeah, talk about a guy that's got his hands in everything. He's got comics. He's got action figures the music it's just the guy's nuts you know with with how much he puts out but um yeah so what, have you always been a, a lifelong kiss fan i'm assuming oh yeah it's since uh well gosh 1973 so uh, way back i'm a, i even have a card that says <clears throat> i'm a member of the kiss army yeah oh, nice. and and I try to use it as my official ID wherever I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it only worked once. Uh, I've tried it at uh, TSA places. It did not work. <laughs> I, I've tried it at hotels. It didn't work. I've tried it at a hospital. It did not work. Um, <laughs> the, the only hotel... I Wait, I also tried it at the Delta Sky, Lo or Sky Club. That did not work. Uh, but when I checked into the Atlantic City uh, Hotel, it was in Comic-Con just last year, I, I presented my Kiss Army uh card and uh, i said uh, i am a, a member of the kiss army is this is this for my can i use this as my official id and he looked at me without batting an eye and goes oh yes we have that on file sir <laughs> there you go so that was the only time that's amazing so so how did you initially get backstage to uh, meet gene the first time with your portfolio yeah, well, you know, you you got to do what you got to do. They have meet and greet packages. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's meet and greet packages. You see an opportunity, and uh, you sort of, you know, I always try to combine like you know pleasure with work. Right. Like, hey, I'm here to meet my heroes, but this is what I do, guys. Mm. And and I have to say that uh, you know over the years I've seen them several times, all of them. And uh, Paul Stanley, you know, came up to uh, Holly and myself at the San Diego Comic-Con. We were in the lobby. He was waiting for his car. And he came up to me and he said, I wanted to thank you uh, for drawing those illustrations because I would present them with artwork when I wow. met him. And he says, I have your portfolio by my bedside and my daughter uh, looks at it. And he, she really likes your work. Wow. And then to hear that is yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 something when you kind of like grow up idolizing somebody and seeing them as a hero, and then all of a sudden they start like embracing and liking the things that you do and giving you compliments on it. It's just it's nutty. So yeah, and, that's, and there's a level of you know where you have to sort of calm down your 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 fandom or your geekdom, and then yeah. <laughs> you talk about business and. You know, because there's that level, too, where, you know, you can't just deal with people as like stars and mm. or fans. It's like, you know, deadlines to me is like a great equalizer. It's like, hey, can you get this done? Yeah, we could get this done. Mm. Um, let's um, talk about execution real quick. You're a really well-rounded artist, but I think it's almost safe to say as well that one of your main strengths is powerful women. You You have this understanding of the fluid fluidity of strong women 
but you could also execute the sensuality as well. Did throughout your life did you look at stuff like I don't know like heavy metal or Frazetta or pinups or where where do you grasp some of the um inspiration from to portray these awesome women that you've done throughout? I well yes, growing up uh, Frank Frazetta was also a hero of mine and what's funny is that he his museum is about 40 minutes from my home. Oh wow. So so there's times where uh, Holly and I will jump in the car and, you know, if we want inspiration to see the original paintings or the original uh, drawings, well, it's just amazing. You just walk in and see them. Uh, but yes, I, I know what you're talking about. And that's exactly what I wanted to do when I left uh, Catwoman is I wanted strong female characters who are, are sexy and, and deadly. And I, and I just tired of this sort of stereotype that you can only be one or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. I received uh, many, many compliments uh, from men and women uh, with my portrayal of how I drew Catwoman and how I draw today Tarot and Raven Hex and, and all my other female characters. Mm. So yeah, there is a, there's a power to sexuality. Uh, there is a humor to sexuality, uh, both in men and women. And I do... Uh, address that in my my comic books mm. what's your take on on the climate today mm. in comic books and let's just to give an example um recently uh, no heroes in crisis uh three was it guys that, i think it's um, an issue issue number is it not it's what it's an issue that hasn't even come out yet the cover you're talking about right so yeah so basically it was um poison ivy was like crawling on the floor and a lot of people raised hell saying that it looked, the pose looked too sexualized as if they were sexualizing her death or whatnot. And this is like an ongoing theme now in today's social media climate. Like, what's your take on all of this that's going on right now? Well, uh, we do live in a, a reactionary climate, especially with the internet. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a lot different than, uh, you know, you know, years, 10 years ago. Uh, but what's interesting about, the, the bigger companies is they have so many hats and, and so many people either above them or below them mm. that everyone's putting in their, their two cents. And that sometimes uh, can take away from a comic book or the creativity or even a storyline. Uh, with my books, I'm sort of the, the end all. Uh, if, if I want to put something down, I'll put it down. Do I get pressure? Yeah, mm. I, I do get pressure. Um, then sometimes I go, are these people reading my books? No, they're not reading my books. Um, I see it every day. Well, not every day. I see it if I go into stores where, uh, for example, I remember walking by in a Barnes & Noble store and through the calendar section and having seeing a parent pull away a, I won't say a child, I mean, the, the boy was in his, uh, his teens, uh, pull him away from a Boris Vallejo calendar. And because the parent was upset of the sexuality, I guess, of, of the warrior women. So you're not going to be able to please everyone. And that is a huge lesson, I think, individual artists need to know or learn and also 
need to, or also the companies need to uh, understand is because the more you water things down, the less it becomes unique, the less it becomes interesting, the less everything tastes like water. Uh, so sometimes you're going to have to sort of be daring and face the fact that some costumes are tighter than others. If, <laughs> if, if Batman can be drawn with his veins popping through his costume, then perhaps the same rules should apply to the female characters or, uh, it, sometimes they are also, I, I think, looking for arguments. Right. Uh, I, I do think we have this sort of tribal mentality. We have this sort of my team, your team. And I also think that that destroys creativity. Right. Well said. Um, and yeah, you, you did, you did mention that you're kind of having uh, a nice, a nice, um, setup where dc other other publications they have to answer to a fan base and and you know at the end of the day they're trying to sell product you know they got to sell the product whatever it is they're trying to push um so they have to answer to consumers whereas you like you mentioned you know you're the kind of end-all be-all and um it's up to you the way that you kind of react to some of the things that are being i'm glad that you take it that way it's like are these people even reading my stories probably not um what is it, you know, what do you see more? Do you see more of, is it like the, the art or the content that maybe uh, gets questioned whenever you kind of put things out? Well, to sort of clarify a little bit more, um, we, me, as well as DC Comics, yeah, we, we do sort of have a fan base. Without, without the readers, you're, you're nothing. You know, so that's why I say almost every month, you know, thank you to to my readers. You've given me, a, you know, this incredible life. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, there there were both of us, uh, you know, the big companies and me and, and other smaller companies. There is sort of you, you, you can't just draw what you want. Like if I just start drawing oranges, no one's going to buy the book and then <laughs> that's it. They are so delicious. In a weird way, you have to figure out what you like to do and then what your audience is going to buy. Uh, so, yeah, I can get away with maybe a little bit more. Uh, then there's times where um, some people would say I get away with too much. Uh, it depends on what part of the country I go to. Uh, sometimes mm. I'll, I'll go to a comic book store and my book will be bagged. Okay, I mean, every comic book store has their own uh, politics. They live in a town. They live, you know, near wherever. So they're under their own pressure. Uh, I, I don't tell them what to do because I don't live there. Uh, if they bag my book, fine. But then I can go to another town, and my book is right next to Spider-Man and not bagged at all. So obviously that town is calm and, and 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 fine with whatever is put up on the shelves or they understand you know this, a mature reader's book means x y and z yeah. so there is a there is a little bit of of a pressure of knowing your audience and also knowing what you like to draw but once again uh you know let's say dc and marvel you know i'm sure they have they keep getting bought on what it marvel's now owned by disney so 
you have all this pressure probably from way up there coming down to the comic books. Did you ever have, you know, an editor at DC, you know, give any type of pushback or ask you to maybe uh, draw a character different? Yes, of course. There's uh, you always um, you have either model sheets that you have to stick to mm-hmm. or you have a storyline that you have to stick to. Um, when I was brought on Catwoman, I was told you could draw, you know, rede- redesign the character, draw however you want. Uh, same thing when I, the first issue of Killer Croc came up for me. I, I was doing a, uh, I think, a Batman fill-in issue and... I asked the editor, may I redesign Killer Croc? They said, sure. So I redesigned Killer Croc. Uh, so they gave us, at that time, uh, a lot of the artists free, uh, a lot of freedom to, to, to redesign things. But yeah, I mean, they, DC Comics, at the time would say, oh, well, you know, change this or change that, because in the end, they own the characters. Right. So I can't draw Catwoman with a parrot on her shoulder because I, <laughs> you know, uh, it, they would say, Jim, you're going to have to erase that. And I was like, okay, but I really want to draw a parrot. Like, no, 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 you got to erase it. This is our character. So that's, that's the sort of the funny bit that sometimes I'll get when I'll hear a lot of like rumors or, or lies about me. Uh, where they say that there was always a problem with with my with me drawing Catwoman the way I did, and and I say I was on the book for seven years. You know they could easily told me to leave after day one, <laughs> and 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 also it's like I, I bring up the same example. If I wanted to draw a mustache on Catwoman, uh, they would fire me. Or you know these guys have the final say. Uh, so yeah, DC and any other character. Uh, that you're drawing there there are model sheets that you you uh, have to abide by but also if the editor is uh, fun to work with uh, the editor knows that he just hired a creative person let this horse run right so that's why we got some really great you know kelly jones batman right come on i mean i i never got a uh, a letter saying okay when you're drawing Batman and Catwoman, make sure that his ears are three feet tall and yeah. you know, his cape is like six miles long. And it's like, no, that's Kelly Jones's stuff, man. That's that's what makes him him. I mean, he's an awesome artist. And so like now this is my sandbox. So let me play with Catwoman here and uh, go from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you did something right because DC Comics is still – publishing your work i mean yeah. they put out a, a trade paperback with a collected volume you know just recently so mm-hmm. oh yeah I, I i i'm flattered every you know it's like what 20 years ago I, i'm still flattered when i go to san diego comic-con i still say hi to the guys they come up to me and they say hello uh you know mark chiarello approached me uh he's dc comic editor he came up to uh or art director he uh, came up to me a few years ago and asked me, do I want to do a variant cover on Catwoman? It's like, yeah, of course. And, and here's a good example. It, it's like, well, you have to keep her in the current costume. You can't put her in the purple and black. That ah. And it's like, I understand. Okay. Like she's fighting Harlequin on the cover. And, you know, so you ask certain questions like, uh, 
you know, I haven't been keeping up with the books. Are they friends now? Are they, you know, what's going on? <laughs> Does she have a parrot now? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I really want to draw that parrot. <laughs> but I also did a variant cover to uh, the the Batman wedding that kind of never happened. Uh, and that was. Yeah, that's actually uh, that was something that I wanted to uh, to get on there before we got away from the, the current state of comics. Uh, obviously, you're well aware uh, in 2018, they did the whole Bat-Cat wedding uh, event and you had a, a series of variant covers that were available for that issue 50 and right. there were probably about 50 other artists who were doing their own uh, renditions of uh, so Catwoman in in her wedding dress and all these different iterations of it and I right. think it uh, speaks to the strength of your design and the timelessness of your design that for me personally and some of the guys are probably going to agree with me that None of those designs, none of the the art that we saw come out for that really measured up to the design that you did for her around issue 17, 18 area of your run when she had the wedding dress with the veil and everything on top of her costume. Right. Oh, that, that was just a, a far more iconic look uh, than, than anything that uh, that came out as part of this wedding event yeah. uh, well, well thank you very much uh, that was a chuck dixon story and it was great writing it or it was great drawing it uh chuck's a phenomenal writer and um what what comes to mind about that particular cover is i'm not sure if anyone knows this a few people do but on all my catwoman covers to this day i hide a small cat on the mm. cover so on that wedding dress that you're speaking of, there are two cats uh, hidden within the lace mm -hmm. near her or near her belly button area, I believe. It's on her corset. Genius. Mm. Genius. I don't know about genius. <laughs> <laughs> I see. What, what? Oh, going back to that, just uh, the other uh, about two years ago from Connecticut, a uh, a cosplayer dressed up as my version of the Catwoman wedding. Wow. Dressed just like Catwoman in her purple and black outfit, but on top of it was a wedding dress. So I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. What's that like when you see cosplayers walking around with your design, like it's brought to life? I, you know, whether it's my design or anybody's design, I love it. it yeah. To me, it's it's funny. Uh, it's, it's also like, I want to take a picture with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I, I, I laughed just thinking like if these people were real superheroes, like I, I've seen a guy dressed as Batman not being able to work his cell phone. And <laughs> it was just so funny to see Batman not being able to work his cell phone. I, I was waiting for a red light uh, at San Diego Comic-Con to get across the street. And anyone who knows about San Diego Comic-Con knows there's like 100,000 people every day. So you have this huge crowd and you're waiting for a light and you're, I'm just sort of like zoning out and I look in front of me and I notice there's Boba Fett in front of me and I'm staring at his rocket pack hmm. and this guy is waiting for his light. <laughs> it's just funny. It's like you got a rocket on your your back. Just use it. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, very, very much like in, uh, like in the movie, he was uh, all for show. <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> and he's not dead. Uh, 
Jim, what's it like? So again, you know, going back a little bit to uh, your legendary Catwoman stuff, what was it like being the guy? What was it like being the guy right, drawing the Catwoman of the of that time? And and everyone was loving it. I don't think there's one person that I can remember, or to this day, you know, I think it's a legendary run, a legendary look. What was it like in that time? Well, you know, people have said that to me, and I still said it. It's it's not me at all. It's it's Catwoman. It really is, guys. Because, no, it, it's it's Catwoman because I love Catwoman. These other people love Catwoman. Okay, I was lucky enough to draw her for seven years and and develop her and give her different outfits and uh, so to me it's just the the strength of the character and and yeah you through Catwoman I got to meet uh, Julie Newmar. Uh, I I was able to. Uh, I was on the QVC. Uh, I signed 10,000 number one Catwoman for the QVC. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, my, I was asked by uh, the Breast Cancer Society way back, I think, in 1993 to donate art for this auction, and all the money was going to go to find the cure for breast cancer. But what was even cooler was that my art was going to be next to uh, Madonna's bra. So wow. I think that's really cool, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the places you found yourself because of the work that you've been able to do. Backstage at a Kiss concert because of your work led you drawing Kiss covers, you know, because of your work. So it's pretty awesome where you've been. Yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, it's also, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm not, you know, working 10 hours a day. I am, and seven days a week. you you just get that obsessive and you do what you do. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of sweat and, and, and just, you know, it's missing time here, missing there, there is no holidays. There's no, you know, sort of birthdays if a deadline comes up, but because you are a freelancer, you have to sort of get things done or you rearrange. So you do, can, you could take Christmas off or you could take time off to go see kiss. <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 great because uh, I, I still think it's cool. And that's well, going back to like this is really not about me uh, because when when people come up to me at conventions, I sign all their items for free. I I draw them quick free sketches because it's sort of a thank you to them for basically supporting me all these years. Mm. So mm. like, even when I, I was at a kiss concert at Madison square garden years ago, and someone asked me for an autograph and I was like, Oh my God, this is, so, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and this guy wants my autograph. But then you realize it's, it really comes down to the character. You know, it's like, it, I'm sure if I was on Aquaman, nothing, you know, they, they, nobody would remember me. Uh, so that's why I have to say it's Batman, it's Catwoman, and those guys are the icons, not Jim Ballant. <laughs> you're, you're very humble, you're but humble. Uh, it, it is important, I think, to point out that uh, not all creators are created equal, and yeah. the work of an artist does make a big difference in how remembered uh, any run on any comic can be. And uh, I think it's... Uh, Entirely likely, if uh, if your run wasn't followed by, uh, I think it was Darwin Cook, 
who uh, who made his new design. If it wasn't for Darwin Cook's design, and it could very well be the case that we would still see your design would still be her her in canon look. Uh, possibly, but I also know, you know, working with DC back then, and even hearing stories today, that part of their publishing is they have to try to keep things fresh. And there's times where you'll see bad decisions made just for a gimmick. Mm, So uh, whether Catwoman's costume is changed for a reason, that's cool. Uh, But if it's just changed because try to make the numbers better, that's not cool. Uh, Yeah, you know, the, the goggle look, you know, has its fans as well. You know that's fantastic. That that's cool. And so to the to this day, when I see my purple and black, um, I'm thrilled because uh, I recognize my Catwoman. I uh, I agree with Robin. You, I, many people have drawn her throughout history, but nobody can draw her like Jim Ballant. It just is what it is. I remember with uh, Reeves FX. He's a friend of ours. He's uh, out on the West Coast. And my friend. I'm sorry. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend of mine. Oh, Reeves, yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. Okay, so uh, Sean, right? Sean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When when he was doing the cow, it was like that's the Jim Ballant cow, you know, the purple yeah. cow. And Jim Ballant owned that. Nobody could do Catwoman like Jim Ballant. It is recognized and it is remembered, and I think that's really important. And to the point where Tom King did was having when he was doing the flashbacks, he wanted that look back in certain panels as well in the recent run. Yeah. It was like, you know, that nod back to. Jim oh yeah I, I saw that it's fantastic when, yeah. when that pops up in the new books yeah yeah it, it they, they did something really i think it was a well maybe it wasn't 50 or one of before or the after but it really does show like what you were saying the evolution like you you created this the look that fit perfectly with like an evolution of the look of the character so that's exactly what they did when mm-hmm. they were kind of showcasing like the different years and uh, of the relationship between bruce and selena and the different ways they looked over the years and and uh, and that was really a cool highlight for that issue. So, very very cool stuff. Uh, yeah. I think it was uh, a variant cover for it might have been for issue fifty, where uh, Jason Fabek did uh, a Batman and Catwoman cover, and she is in your purple suit. They're, they're both uh, they're sort of it looks like they've just jumped off a building, so Batman's you know chasing Catwoman, and they're both flying through the air. And on one of the buildings behind them, there's a huge sign with neon lights. And down, it fills almost top to bottom of, of the piece. And this big sign that goes down from the top to the bottom says balance. Oh, wait a minute. I think I saw that piece. I think he sent it to me in oh, an nice. email. But I thought Ooh. that was a splash page. Because when oh, yeah, it was... It- yeah, it when, may have been one of those pages throughout throughout the issue too. Yeah, that's right, special. right. Because when the when it was printed, there's a lot of uh, word uh, or captions over the the balanced neon sign. But I know it's there. I think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because when I was uh, when I was offered the uh, variant cover to do uh, issue fifty for Jetpack Comics, uh, they gave me. Uh, faxes or or they gave me the this is how batman is going to look or this is how catwoman has to look Mm. so there was no room for me to draw my version of catwoman in the purple outfit i had to sort of draw you know selena in her black and white wedding dress and once again it comes down to continuity uh but i also think when you when you 
go into the world of variant covers, I think you should have a lot of leadway because I, I think agree. now the reader is more mature, uh, more intelligent. Mm. So mm. if you wanted to make, you know, uh, you know, Batman Lego and Catwoman Lego having, uh, you know, uh, at the at the altar, I don't think anybody is going to freak out and go, "Oh my God, is this issue is all going to be Legos?" <laughs> it, it's uh, just sort of an artistic uh, in- interpretation. So yeah, when it comes to variant covers, I, I do agree with with a lot of people who say there there should be just almost free reign like 99.9 percent should be whatever the artist wants to do mm. yeah a, a lot of variant covers uh depict events that don't take place in the issue and sometimes uh, depict characters who don't appear in the issue at all so why not yeah especially if it's variant to a store or um a particular area uh, but if it's you know the the one that's worldwide, I understand that it has to be the sort of this is our you know main cover for this issue. So, but when you start going off the variant covers, it's like uh, you know I'm sure so and so will draw you know a, a great cover. Let him do his style, and if he wants to add you know Killer Croc, okay, you know. But Jim, what we get seasons. Um, listeners as well that's been collecting and reading for ages, but we also get a, a good chunk of uh, new readers, new generation. For the new guys, can you um, talk about um, your creator-owned tarot? Yeah, sure. Um, in the year 2000, uh, when my obligation on, on Catwoman finished, I, I wanted to go more with uh, a sword and sorcery, but modern-day uh, story. Um What's interesting is back in the year 2000, I had three ideas uh, on my drawing table. And I knew that I couldn't, I didn't want to be the company that put out seven titles in the first year. And then the company, Broadsword Comics, collapses because you just can't keep up the pace. I also wanted to be the company that was artist driven. I, you know, the art came first and then the publishing second. I didn't want to hire other people. I just wanted to work with Holly Golightly and myself. Holly Golightly was still working on uh, Archie Comics at the time. We are both workaholics. We teamed up and I said, I want to start my own company. I want to call it Broadsword Comics. I drew up the logo and I said, I'm going to go with this fantasy of Tarot Witch of the Black Rose because of my love for strong female characters, and also my love for Red Sonja. Uh, so I developed that horror, it's sort of a horror fantasy story. And here's sort of a lesson that I think everyone needs to know is when you take that major jump, and it is, it's just like the Indiana Jones moment when it's the, uh, the Last Crusade where he sees this you know, cliff and he, he knows that he has to sort of like take that faith, that, that one step, and looks like he's going to die. But he takes that step, and there's that illusion of that bridge. Uh, that, that moment where you don't know if this is going to work is always going to be there when you dare do something different. Because um, when I announced 
that I was doing Tarot Witch at a Black Rose. I, I turned down other offers from other companies to uh, you know draw the next title for them because I thought, well, this is my opportunity to work directly for myself. I know how to do this. I I'm this sort of crazy that I'll stay up at night and draw, 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 and draw. So I also turned down offers to bring Tara Witch of the Black Rose to other companies for them to publish. I wanted to do everything myself. I, I told Holly, I said, if we're going to make three cents, then we know we made three cents. If we're going to make $3 million, then I know we're going to make $3 million. I don't want to get a paycheck from another company and get, you know, say, let's say $3 million, but maybe the book made $10 million and the rest of that money went to keep their lights on. And I just thought, I want, we're doing all the hard work. Why don't we use all that money to keep our lights on? So we all, I made that decision to make sure that, you know, we did all the work and that we also reap all the profits as well. Another thing that happens is when you step out there is, and even worse today, and we kind of touched on this, you'll have a lot of people telling you you're going to fail. I was told by so-called experts in the industry at that time that your book is going to fail within three issues. Wow. So hearing that after making the decision to leave, you know, Catwoman or or leave, I should say, DC Comics and, and, and other companies and to go off on my own is super scary because you're putting a lot of money into each issue. And I didn't want to do Tarot Witch of the Black Rose cheap. I wanted it to look like a good comic book that's equal to, you know, Image at the time, that's equal to DC and Marvel at the time. I didn't want the paper to be floppy. I, I wanted it to be glossy. I wanted this, that, and that. I wanted top of the line. It has to look like a good comic book. So you're putting a lot of your own money into this. And for these people that, you know, have their own magazine articles or they're a, somebody with a name tell you, you know, Jim, this is going to fail in three, three issues is freaking scary. Well, 19 years yeah. on issue 114 and those so-called people don't have jobs anymore. Damn. They need some chances. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you hear this from everyone, from, you know, uh, critics who tell, well, Going to Kiss, my favorite rock band. Uh, they were told they're going to disappear within the first two or three albums as well. They're still going. Uh, there's a lot to say of just being, you know, stubborn and just keep going, going and going. But there's also, you have to sort of respect your fan base. You have to not talk down to them with your, your art or your stories. You have to say, this is who we are, and we're going to keep going. So I first planned Tara Witch of the Black Rose for four issues, and I was told that it's never going to make four issues. Once it reached issue five, I felt I had that breathing room. I found my audience, and I was able to sort of develop the characters even more. So... It's just sort of a lesson that I think everyone needs to know, whether you're a singer or whether, you know, you have that dream, go out there and just be prepared that there's going to be people who are going to shoot at you all the time. 
Yeah. You're, you're an amazing testament to hard work, determination, not taking no for an answer, having, having like your goal set and then just working for it. Con- and then coming consist- 19 years. Consistency. Yeah. 19 years. Yeah. And never missing a deadline. It's, there you that's go. That's crazy. Yeah. There, one of the biggest compliments um, I was given, I was in London. I just did a, a, a show there like two or three years ago. And I was having dinner with one of the store owners in London. And he wanted to thank me and because he said, you know, okay, your issue, Tara Wichita of Black Rose isn't selling like, say, X-Men or, or huge numbers like Batman. Um, but for the past 19 years, you have brought a customer to my store so that they'll pick up Tara Wichita of Black Rose and they'll pick up maybe Batman or they'll pick up an X-Men. So he wanted to thank me because my book constantly was on time and that that fan who, number one, wanted tarot came into his store and that's what they worry about is foot traffic. I thought, wow, I never thought it from their perspective. So I thought that was a huge compliment. I think that's something that I I, I store, at least the stores by me in Southern California, a lot of the ones that I go to, um, they put a lot of emphasis on the indie books because for the exact same reason, a lot of them are start out as people being fans, breaking into comics and making it and then publishing their own stuff and, you know, getting success doing it. So the, 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 the sellers will, you know, they'll put those books out at the same time or at the same kind of place in the store as the big two, you know? And so it drives that fan base in who are really looking for that, the indie stuff that, you know, you guys can kind of put whatever you want in your books to a certain degree. Um, and they're not going to get that from the big two, you know, they're going to get something that's creator owned, creator, creator driven. And, and, uh, it's a big thing right now where I'm at. So I think that, um, you're a great example of someone that's doing it successfully and, uh, a, some, a style that people really need to check into and emulate if they want to be kind of su- successful in their own right. Do you want to plug your own website? Because you offer, you know, more than just your comics from your own website as well. I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot more from what I can see. If you if you go to uh, jimballant.com, uh, most of it is just tarot, witch of the black rose. I don't think I, I I make sure I don't offer any Catwoman or. Well, no, you've got you know books, you've got art prints. Oh yes, um, yes, but they're all my characters. Yes, right, exactly. Right. I, yeah, not only are there comic books, but there's T-shirts. There's art prints, there's art books, mm. uh, there's sketchbooks. Um, so anything related to uh, my work or Holly Golightly's work um, is there. Uh, Holly does this great uh, children's type book uh, for about our cat, Panger. Uh, it's called Panger Prince Panger Bond. So you know, definitely check that out. We have all age books. We have mature readers books. Uh, we... We are artists who love imagination, and there's times where we'll wake up and go, I want to do this story. Mm. I want to create these characters. Uh, okay, it's not a mature reader's book, but it's an, an all-age book. Uh, for example, I also created uh, The Three Little Kittens, uh, Perfect Weapons, which is sort of my take on sort of like, what if Charlie's Angels and Catwoman merged? So we have three sort of uh, distinct cat women who, who run around and do incredible 
uh, superhero stuff. So those are my superhero books where I, I bring them out every now and then when I have a good storyline. Um, Tara, Witch of the Black Rose is a constant bi-monthly book. Uh, we even have perfumes um, named after of our characters. Uh, so yes, there is a lot of besides comic books at, on my website, jimballant.com. Speaking of crossovers, you're also credited as, uh, I guess, the co-creator of Dark Claw, correct? Yes, I was. Uh, I created the look of the character, right? Which is a, a funny story. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. I was still working on Catwoman, and uh, I received a call from the card company at the time. I'm not sure if it was Tops or not, but they said, uh, Jim, we want uh, you to do this Dark Claw character uh, for our our card set. And I said, I've never heard of Dark Claw. <laughs> um, I'm working on Catwoman right now, and if I'll do the work for you, just send me the specs of the character, and I have this little limited window of time, like one week before the next script comes in. And they said, no problem. We'll get you the specs tomorrow. I'm like, cool. Tomorrow comes, nothing. Next day comes, nothing. So a week goes by and I call them and I say, listen, where are where is the designs of this new character I've never heard of, Dark Claw? And they said, uh, well, we, we haven't received them from the company yet. I'm like, well, who's putting this out? And they said, well, we can't tell you. And I'm like, okay. And they <laughs> said, well, do you still want to be on, on the project? I said, yeah, okay, it's a few cards. I'll, I'll do it, but I really should have that design so I can work on it now. I'm, I'm, you know, basically, I have a week off. I, I could have been doing it. And they're saying, oh, we're really sorry. We don't have it from the company. I was like, all right. So... The next week comes in, and I go to DC Comics to pick up the script. And I'm only like two hours away when DC was in New York City. And the uh, the bat editors say, oh, let's all go out to lunch. So I was like, okay. And anyone who knows me, I'm, I don't eat a lot. So like, to me, lunch is a waste of time. And I was like, <laughs> all right. So we go out there, and there's like the three of us, the three bat editors and me. They all order, and I order like something really small, a salad or something. And then uh, they, they look at me, and they start smiling. And I'm like, you know, what's going on, guys? And they said, well, because, you know, Catwoman's doing so well, we have a little sort of treat for you. I'm like, what? And they said, we want you to design a character. We're putting together this company with Marvel called Amalgam Comics. And we want you to design this character of Batman and Wolverine, and he's called Dark Claw. <laughs> and I started laughing. And they didn't understand why I was laughing. And then I told them, I said, for a week now, I've been waiting on myself, <laughs> character, to then start drawing this card. <laughs> and That's and they, hilarious. Were just, they were just confused by the whole thing. But what was hilarious is, and like some of the things that you'll never read in the magazine is... Uh, when we talked about Dark Claw for the first time, I said, tell me the storyline. I said, how much are you combining Batman with Wolverine? And the, the jokes were going back and forth so much from the table. And one of the things that stuck in my mind is, uh, you know, everyone knows that, you know, Bruce Wayne is sitting in his library and it's all moody and the bat comes through the window. Right. And that's that's iconic. We all know that. Correct. Right. Right. OK. Right. 
So now they're thinking about, well, now we got to sort of combine Dark Claw with Batman. And they're like, well, maybe Alfred just killed a Wolverine in the garden and he flung it over his back. And the Wolverine went through the window, <laughs> <laughs> thus you know, creating the Dark Claw. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen, but that was hilarious. That's awesome. A tradition on the show is something we call the lightning round. So, okay, what's your favorite Kiss song? Deuce, because it has Deuce. my name. <laughs> it has the word, it has my name Jim in it. <laughs> Favorite TV series? Do you like Sopranos or Lost? Neither. I didn't watch any. That's <laughs> how you make those deadlines, man. Can't be watching TV. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Do you like New York style pizza or like Chicago deep dish? Uh, New York thin thin pizzas for me. Thin, thin yeah. crust. My wife says, "Be quiet. I'm talking too loud." Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> She's watching good- Twister. Keep it down. You no. Know, my wife watches Twister, the movie Twister, like every week. Have you ever seen Twister? Yes. What'd you think of Twister? <laughs> oh, he said, unfortunately. <laughs> Don't let Jam Jam listen to this part of the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and also to Twister, the uh, the sort of, you want to call it a ride or an event in Universal is, is not good either. <laughs> oh, I remember they had the plain or peanut M&M's, Jim? Oh, uh, plain. Interesting. Yeah, I, and I used to eat them on the airplane. So, mm-hmm. okay. while drawing Catwoman. <laughs> now, yeah. if if you could have dinner with one human being from history, dead or alive, any human being throughout history, if you could have sit down and have dinner with them, which person would that be? Does a uh, Doctor Zayas count? Where's <laughs> <laughs> some place that you've never been but you'd love to travel? Oh, uh, I want to go to the Netherlands. I want to go to a, uh, a comic book convention in the Netherlands. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, invisibility. Ooh. How much do you deadlift? <laughs> I just came back from the gym, so I'm going to say, uh, I don't know, like 100 pounds. <laughs> okay. Dude, I'm a big skinny guy. I'm six foot three and I weigh 138. Come on. Oh, <laughs> wow. You're like nobody fat. Lean, dude. Nice and lean. That's awesome. Helps when you're meeting the deadlines. You, you <laughs> work quick. That's right. What was the best piece of advice you ever got from somebody? Uh, well, once again, uh, Joe Kubrick keeps coming to my mind where he says, no matter how good of an artist you are, if you don't meet your deadlines, you're not good to the company. Yeah. Favorite Kiss member? Uh, I, I'm i going to pass on that. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> One time because I dressed up as Ace Freely for Halloween. I, I had me and four buddies dressed up as Kiss, and we went from like, Halloween party to Halloween party. And I mean, we were in the full makeup and we took like football pads and put uh, tinfoil all over them and had like our guitars and drum kits and, and everything. And we won best costume at four different parties nice. and got wow. wasted. <laughs> well, if we're talking Halloween costumes, I did dress up as Gene Simmons. Oh, so nice. that gives you a clue of maybe who's my favorite. Can you uh, stick the tongue out? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're six three, so it probably looks good when you're when you're in full costume. 
and and speaking of, uh, we we talked about Sean Reeves uh, earlier on. Uh, another great uh, friend of mine and also a great costume maker is uh, David P. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does all the Kiss replicas. Oh, wow. yeah. And so if you need uh, good Kiss replicas, go to David. Uh, nice. And if you need good Catwoman cows and Batman cows, go to Sean. Do you have the um, Sideshow Collectibles Jim Ballant Catwoman statue? Yes. Uh, they were very kind uh, to send me one. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. I, that that statue's in my local shop, and every time I walk in, I just stare at it. Mm. <laughs> it's it's awesome. They do a great job. I, I love Sideshow work. I have several of the Lord of the Rings uh, Sideshow uh stuff i'm a big lord of the rings fan what what's your favorite movie oh my god uh there's so many different ones but yeah definitely a lord of the rings uh, i love indiana jones movies uh those those two i could watch all the time i love the original plan of the apes mm. oh yeah charlton did you watch the new ones did you watch the the matt reeves uh plan of the apes films they just don't Compared to the 70s, man, or the 60s, whenever they were made. Yeah, but, uh, it's kind of completely different franchise and, and different storytelling, too. Well, back, the original ones had so many social messages to yeah. them, which was they, which, why they hold up to today. Right. You know, oh, yeah. Laugh at their makeup, but I still see them as apes. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're real people to me. Mm. Right. What, did, what did you think of. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's portrayal of Selena Kyle in Batman Returns. Uh, you know, once again, you sort of have to sort of go, well, this is not my Catwoman, uh, but I really liked it. Uh, it was during the time in my life when I got Catwoman. Right. Uh, you know, my whole life was, uh, you know, watching Julie Newmar and, and, and also, you know, Adam West and trying to get work. Yeah. And this is no lie. I, I used to, draw pages all during the day samples and then at night i I would jog i would run and there's you know like any artist or anybody just starting out you have no money there's there's just you know you wonder if something's going to break or are you just you know running in circles and after uh, you know running and and doing a jog you know i just lay down on the grass and i'm not joking but you know you're thinking should i try a different field should i go into something else mm. and since it was during dusk a bat flew over me what? so i was like i'm like okay i'm <laughs> sick with drawing you know i'm gonna draw batman i'm gonna draw something uh in the batman family and within a year or two i was drawing catwoman wow. and then a wolverine came out of the bushes right <laughs> that's right <laughs> and a parrot on the shoulder mm. yes that <laughs> That, that reminds me of uh, Greg Capullo, that video where uh, he's working on his last Batman run, so he says, and he posted a video of a bat fl- flew into his living room, and he just couldn't believe it. So he's like, okay, <laughs> like the same kind of omen, whatever you want to call it. If you, right. um, when, when, you were, when you were working on your Catwoman, or even to this day, had, was there ever an actress that you could see play your Catwoman mm. when you were doing it? No, no I, and yeah. I, I always... I always go, let's go with like an unknown because a lot of times people go, oh, well, that's, you know, so-and-so is Catwoman. It's like, no, let's just, let's just have Catwoman. Mm. Let's just, you know, let's see what this other actress can do. Uh, I do like Michelle Pfeiffer. I love that sort of, you know, craziness she had. She's not 
the Catwoman that I knew drawing her, uh, my Catwoman was very stable. She knew what she wanted in life and she took it. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is a little bit, you know, off kilter, but that's Tim Burton's Catwoman. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But she looked beautiful in the costume. And, and that when I received the job of doing issue one of Catwoman, the only sort of guideline I had was do not draw the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman costume because that's sort of copywritten to the movies and any sort of profits would go over to the movie side. And, and so I was like, you know, I wasn't even thinking that way. But like, mm. OK, you know, thanks for the clue. Um, and to wrap it up, Jim, what advice would you give to a uh, aspiring artist that wants to break into comics? I would say draw what you want to draw. draw. And, and, you know, that sounds really simple and kind of stupid, but I always sort of follow that up because, you know, people ask me that at conventions. I say, you know, draw what you like to draw. If you like drawing dinosaurs, draw dinosaurs, because how sucky would it be if you're drawing, once again, a bowl of oranges and somebody goes, oh, my God, I'm hiring you to draw the next 50 issues of oranges. And then you're like, great. The rest of my life, I'm drawing something I hate, oranges, but at least I'm getting a paycheck. Yeah. It's like, no, draw something you like to do. You're, you're constantly, you're constantly going to improve your art. And that's another thing. Just be aware that you're always going to be learning new and new stuff. Mm. So, that's yeah. what I would tell new artists. You know, if you think you're peaking, you know, don't. Just just keep drawing and, and go, go, go. Thank you so much, man. We really appreciate you and taking the time to speak to us. It's been an honor this evening. It's fun talking to you guys. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. Uh, am I gonna see any of you guys in San Diego? You'll be seeing me. Of course, Tom, for sure. I'll be down there. Um, another buddy of ours who is not on right now, but uh, Jason is gonna be down there as well. Um, and we'll have you're gonna see a lot of us. <laughs> we're, gonna, okay. we're gonna, yeah, we'll come down and say hi. Yeah, we want to take photos together, it'd be great. It's coming back to New York Comic Con. Uh, I was there last you, year. You were, and we were on the floor and we heard about it, but we it was like we had it disclosed to us like almost last minute. You and Jim Starlin were two unicorns of that um convention. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like, yo, they're here, yeah. but they're going to be at this booth for this amount of time. And we're like, dude, why didn't you let us know? We're like scattering, trying to get the program and whatnot. So, uh, Yeah, uh, I, was a, I was a guest at the Greg Hildebrand booth, the right. Spiderweb Art Gallery, because they represent uh, Holly Golightly's art. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like an invited guest. It was really sort of her debut. Right. Um, if any of you guys follow me on Facebook, we made it pretty clear, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I was mentioned in the program, mm. but uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be in New York Comic Con this year. I will be at the New Jersey or the Garden State. Oh, the, okay, yeah, yeah, that, that, Con. Yeah, I think that's in June. All right, all right. So I, I will be there, and the Broadsword booth will be there. So come by, and we'll all we'll take photos. Awesome. Cool. That sounds great. Well, uh, Jim, thank you for all your work. Thank you for your hard work and making those deadlines and uh, <laughs> and your dedication to the to the genre of comic books, man. Obviously, you know, we've said it plenty of times on this episode tonight, but it is appreciated. It is, it is recognized and it is remembered, which is very important. And we appreciate you. We appreciate your time tonight. And uh, and thank you for everything. Thank you, for- thank you well, Jim. Thank you, guys. This is a big honor. Yeah.
This is Selena Kyle. Some call me Catwoman. And when I'm not pulling the perfect crime-snatching diamonds, along with Batman's heart all over Gotham, I'm curled up next to my kitty and listening to Bat Force Radio. <laughs>